In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So I've grown up uh, observing Lent, as some of you have, and some of you have not, I know. And some years have been better than others. The beauty of Lent is that you can't totally ignore it. More than any other season, liturgically, it kind of slams you in the face. The music changes. The way that we use the gradual for the gospel, as you just saw, changes. We go to a different rite in the prayer book. We'll be using the 1928 Book of Common Prayer for Lent. Um, Things become more somber. You can't miss the beautiful, but yet somber, black pyramids on the altar and that we wear. There's no flowers. We cease to say Alleluia for 40 days and 40 nights. And I know that some of you have prepared for Lent this year, and others have not. And some of you are probably somewhere in between. Ready or not, here Lent comes. It's here, Ash Wednesday. And as we start this season, I want to point out three lessons from Ash Wednesday. Number one, life is short. Life is short. Number two, hold your sin in contempt. Hold your sin in contempt. Number three, by God's grace, be cleansed. By God's grace, be cleansed. Well, let's look at the first one. Life is short. You've probably heard that said. You've probably even uttered the words from time to time. Life is short, we say haphazardly, usually followed by, so, you know, live it up, or so, enjoy yourself, or so, you plug in the blank. But I want to point out that Ash Wednesday's point to us is, Life is short, and therefore, as the old cowboy said to the other old cowboy, prepare to meet your maker. Life is short. Prepare to meet your maker. That's an eloquent way of saying what the prayer book says. Of course, the prayer book says it much more refined, nice English. And this is from the burial, right, where we read, Man born of woman has but a short time to live. And it's full of misery. He springs up and is cut down like a flower. He flees like a shadow and never continues the same. If you're thinking that sounds familiar, well, you just sang that from Psalm 103, no doubt. A reference to verse 15 where we said, Our days are like grass or like the flower. Here today, gone tomorrow. The first lesson of Lent, therefore, is short. Life is short. Prepare to meet your maker. The second lesson of Lent goes with the first. Hold your sin in contempt. Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 tells us, Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Obviously part of the first lesson, but also bridging to the second. The message paraphrases it this way. You started out as dirt, you'll end up as dirt. But why? Well, that sentence is one that God speaks over mankind after his rebellion in Genesis 3. All mankind, of course, is cursed by sin. The 
combination, a new word that I'm learning today, from the 1662 prayer book has this purpose in mind. And we're not going to go through the whole service because it's a service unto itself, but I'm going to read a large chunk of it to you. I invite you to read along and take a look. It's in your order of service. The combination is to emphasize how we should how we should hold our sin in contempt. And it's an instrument to help us do it. I invite you to respond where the responses are. Dear people of God, in the early church there was a godly discipline. That, at the beginning of Lent, those persons who stood convicted of notorious or notorious sins were given open penance and punished in this world, that their souls might be saved in the day of the Lord, and so that others, admonished by their example, might be more wary to offend. Until this discipline may be restored again, which is to be desired, it is thought good that at this time, in the presence of the congregation, the general sentences of God's cursing against impenitent sinners should be read, and that you should answer Amen to each sentence. In this manner, being admonished of the great indignation of God against sinners, you may be moved in earnest and true repentance, and may walk more warily in these dangerous days fleeing from such vices which you affirm by your mouth and are due the curse of God. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image to worship it. Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his neighbor's wife. Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. Amen. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. Amen. Cursed are the unmerciful, the fornicators, the adulterers, the jealous persons, the idolaters, the slanderers, and the drunkards, and the extortioners. Amen. And you can see those are all from Scripture, Deuteronomy and Jeremiah. Now seeing all those are cursed, as the prophet David bears witness who err and go astray from the commandments of God, let us remember the great judgment hanging over our heads. Return to the Lord our God with all contrition and meekness of heart, bewailing and lamenting our sinful life, acknowledging and confessing our offenses, and seeking to bring forth worthy fruits of repentance. For at this hour is the axe put to the root of the trees." so that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He shall pour down rain upon the sinners, snares, fire and brimstone, storm and tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is come out of his holy place to visit the wickedness of those who dwell on the earth. Who may abide the day of his coming? 
Who will be able to endure when he appears? His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Then the wrath of God will appear in the day of vengeance, which obstinate sinners, through their stubbornness of their hearts, have heaped unto themselves. They will have despised the goodness, patience, and loving kindness of God when he calls them continually to repentance. The Lord said, They will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Then it will be too late to knock when the door will be shut, and too late to cry for mercy when the time is of justice. O terrible voice of just judgment, which will be pronounced upon them when it will be said to them, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Therefore, dearly beloved, heed this call today while the day of salvation lasts, for the night comes when none can work. But let us, while we have the light, believe in the light and walk as children of the light so that we may not be cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let us not abuse the goodness of God, who in his mercy calls us to amendment of life and of his grace promises us forgiveness of our past offenses if with a true heart we turn to him. For though our sins are red as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. And though they are like purple, they shall be made white as wool. Hear the word of God to his people. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I find no pleasure in the death of anyone, so turn and live. Although we have sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Let us, therefore, turn to him, the merciful receiver of all true penitent sinners, assuring ourselves that he's ready to receive us and desires to pardon us if we come to him with faithful repentance, if we submit ourselves to him and walk from henceforth in his ways if we will take his easy yoke and light burden upon us to follow him in lowliness, patience, and charity and be ordered by the Holy Spirit, seeking always his glory and serving him duly in all our calling with thanksgiving. If we do this, Christ will deliver us from the curse of the law and from the punishment which will be upon them that will be set at his left hand. He will set us at his right hand and give us the gracious blessing of his Father, commanding us to take possession of his glorious kingdom, to which he pray, we pray 
that he would bring us all for his infinite mercy. Amen. Now do you see, friends, the power of those words, mostly from Scripture, and the importance of holding your sin in contempt? For it's your sin that brings judgment and death. It's your sin that separates you from your God. And it's your sin that we confess and repent of asking his forgiveness for today. You see, our adversary, the devil, has done great work in convincing us in this world and even some in the church that sin's not, quote-unquote, that bad. And certainly my sin's not that bad. You see, the devil's words from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, ring through the centuries. Did God really say, you shall not? And you fill in the blank. Do you see the deception? The easiness taken towards sin? And of course, we're enticed and deceived to say, well, no, maybe he didn't. But the truth is that he did. Which is what the, com the combination points to us. It's also why the prophet Joel is so adamant in the first lesson that Austin read for us this evening. He's calling God's people to repentance. Look at Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Now in the original context, this was an invading army, but the church has placed this passage here to show us the power of our adversary, but even more the power of our deliverer. And yet, it's an alarm to be sounded, not to be taken lightly. What is this great darkness? Well, for us, it is constant abandonment of God and the need to return to Him. And yet there's hope in this Old Testament passage. Look at verse 12, where we read, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And then jumping to verse 16. Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Well, what's the urgency? Because this is urgent business. There is nothing more important than your eternal soul. There's nothing more important in this world or the next than turning to the Lord and repenting. Yes, sin entices us and claims to be more important, claims to be more pressing, but it's a lie. It's a deceit. But by God's grace, be cleansed. You see, the only way to be cleansed is through repentance and by accepting God's grace. As Christians, we know that Jesus has already paid the price and cleansed us from our sins. You, friends, are justified. You can rest in that. Christ's sacrifice once upon the cross has justified you before God. And yet Lent reminds us that the state of death that we were all in before being 
before becoming one of Christ's own is the natural state of fallen mankind, accursed, earning the wages of death, the wages of sin, which is death, fit for hell. It also reminds us of the urgency to share the good news with others, that they too might come from out of that sentence, out of that death sentence, and into the light, into God's grace. But secondly, Lent is a call to holiness. It's a call to the Christian who has been justified to be made holy, to be sanctified. It's perhaps one of the greatest ironies that in embracing our death as Christians, the death of our natural selves, sometimes called the flesh, but the old nature, it's in putting that to death, St. Paul says, that we're given eternal life. In Romans 8.13 we read, For if you live according to human nature, you're going to die. And that's eternally. But if by the Spirit you continuously put to death the activities of that nature, you will live. What is Jesus targeting in today's gospel? The root of sin. The root of sin. That which separates us from repentance, from penitence, which is pride. Pride. Self-satisfaction. Self-advancement. The rendering of the outside and not the heart. Do you see what Jesus is criticizing with the hypocrisy is that those that he's criticizing, the Pharisees here, but us by implication, are happy to show their repentance, but not do it. They proclaim themselves on the streets, but it's not in their hearts. Joel says to them and to us, rend your hearts and not your garments. For it's God who looks to the heart. And you, friends, as a Christian, have not arrived, and neither have I. The journey must continue. We must continually put to death our pride and all of its bitter fruits. That's the idea behind fasts and abstinences, behind putting aside things during Lent. You know, it's not to become a better person. Lent, Lent is not some New Year's resolution. I, I, I shudder sometimes at what I see on Facebook, right? Today, this, this, you know, fast from fear that you might be joyful and all that garbage. No, that misses the whole point. I mean, those aren't bad things, right? We shouldn't be fearful. That's not what I'm saying. But the point of Lent is to allow the Holy Spirit to strip from us those things that block us from God. Now, maybe that is fear for you. That's possible. But this is not self-help Sunday or self-help 40 days. If you see that, that's not the point. The point is to be cleansed by God's grace so that in turning to him, you can be sanctified and produce fruit. Produce fruit. And so I will leave you with the fruit of repentance, that is, and I'll leave you with the words from, com from the combination that we did read, just this one section of it, which encapsulates this all. Let us, remembering the great judgment hanging over our heads, return to the house of our God with all contrition and meekness of heart, 
bewailing and lamenting our sinful life, acknowledging and confessing our offenses, and seeking to bring forth worthy fruits of repentance. Friends, this Ash Wednesday, take the three lessons with you. Life is short. Hold your sin in contempt. And by God's grace, be cleansed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.